This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram. Hello, and friends. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope your day is treating you well. I love Atlanta, Georgia. I really do. I have had the best time here. I feel like I made friends everywhere that I went. Everyone was just so friendly and warm and inviting. I also just love being in a city. And I honestly, I love a drivable city. I'm going to say that. I liked a walkable city 10 years ago, 15 years ago, but now I think I like a drivable city. I think that's what's for me. And I, yeah, I just love being here. It's so nice. I don't even really want to drive home. I think I'm just going to take my time and not rush my way out. It's kind of nice. I'm driving back to Asheville and there's no one at home right now. Like no one's waiting for me there. And that's kind of nice. I think normally when I'm traveling, I'm kind of in this like rush to get home because my family's at home. And so I'm very eager to get back, but no one's home. So I'm just taking my time. I'm going to hang out with myself either way. So uh, I'm going to spend some extra time in the city and that feels great. Now, today we are covering the part two of our conversation around debunking Enneagram stereotypes and kind of how those stereotypes are created and how we can grow through that. But we're going to go a little bit deeper into how we're perceived by others and how we can make some adjustments in our growth journey to better support ourselves. So that's what we're talking about today. We're specifically covering the heart center types two, three, and four today. So if you are a two, three, or four, or you love someone who's a two, three, or four, this one's for you. So let's dive in. So type two, the stereotype here, I the two stereotypes I chose are one, that type twos are without need. And two, that they are there to be of service, that they are just so excited to be there and that that is exactly the role that they are intended to play. They want to serve you. Now, I like to say, you know, the way I phrased this on Instagram, if you saw the post last week, is like, you're not there to be of service. You're just blank. So the way I kind of thought of the service thing was less about like you like to be helpful because obviously you like to be helpful, but it's more so like the thought of like cooking and cleaning and running errands that these are like all type two things you love to do, that that's the stereotype I'm really thinking about. Um, 
So what I think it is instead is that you want to do anything in order to be your person, quote unquote, like someone's trusted person. Like you really want to be relied on, needed, trusted, and deeply loved because the thought of being replaceable is very scary. So let's dive into that a little bit deeper. So I think a lot of times we think, oh, just twos love to bake for me. Twos love to clean. Twos love to run errands. They love to take care of other people. And that's not so much it. And it's it's every two can show up differently. Some twos are working in a high power corporate environment where they are showing up less so from a place of I'm baking cookies today and more so from a place of I will file that form for you because I'm so I've become so good at it that no one else can do it as well as I can do it and therefore you have to rely on me which makes me your go-to person which means I'm relied on needed trusted deeply loved and therefore irreplaceable right so this can take many many forms It's not always like the homemaker energy that we think of it as. And it's not that you're preoccupied with how much you love those things or how much you just love to be of service. It's like in your heart of hearts, you believe that if you you don't believe in your worth enough to trust that if you just sat back for a second, people would still want you around. I'm saying that kind of bluntly, you know, but I also think that's important stuff to notice. And on a similar vein, the next stereotype here is that you are without need, that you just are so selfless and have no needs. But more so what's accurate is that you're unaware of your needs and that actually you project onto other people the needs that you have, right? You see someone else and you think, oh, they must be thirsty because you're very thirsty. Um, You give someone else the birthday party you wish you would receive, that sort of thing, right? You show up at work the way you wish someone would show up for at work for you. Again, the other half of this is that you aren't selfless, right? And I don't mean this in a harsh way. I just mean this in like a loving, challenging way. Like twos are out for themselves, truly. Like this giving that you're doing from an unhealthy level, right? Like we all grow, we all get healthier, but this, I'm talking like average to unhealthy here because that's what distinguishes us. But this average to unhealthy level, right? Our twos, they're giving because they need you to see them as irreplaceable, to depend on them, to give back to them, to potentially through all of their sacrifice, see how much they're, they mean to you, how valuable they are. So they're really giving in order to receive, in order to get flattery and accolades in return. So I say this to say, you know, we know that deep down there's a lot more going on than just like, you're so selfless. You just like love to serve. You are happy to like be here taking care of everybody. It's it's different than that, right? Underneath the surface, we are dealing with honestly a deep lack of self-worth because you don't even value you you know you lose value in yourself to the point of not even knowing what you like what you want what you need who you are outside of like these people you're you're seeking to please 
But additionally, you you don't trust that you're worthy enough to be loved even if you don't play this character for them. You don't play this role that you're used to playing. So yes, okay, underneath the surface, you are likely tired. You are likely fed up. You are likely overburdened. You're likely resentful of the people in your life. You know, you don't really feel like such a helper because you're pretty frustrated about all the helping that you're doing. You would love a thank you, please. You know, so underneath the surface, there's probably a lot of frustration, especially at our average to lower levels of health here. So why do people think you just love to be of service and you just like don't have any needs? This is just a happy-go-lucky, like helpful friend who like can take care of it. Um, you know, it's because that's what you're presenting to them, right? Like you, you're showing them exactly what they want to see from you. You're giving them the version of yourself that is most likely to be palatable to them and to potentially even thrill and delight them, right? Like if you show up how they, like in this, like, it's, it reminds me of that meme that's like, do you like my personality? Good, because I created it for you, <laughs> right? And that's kind of what we're experiencing is like, if you're showing up in order to be the thing that you think people want from you, and simultaneously you're unaware of your needs and you fear being replaceable, then it gives off the impression that like your job, that you're not there to be a leader, that you're there to serve, that you are just happy to serve, don't have anything that you need from anybody because that's often, you know, twos kind of do this mixed message thing where they're like, I don't need anything, but like deep down they do, you know? So they're kind of sending mixed signals. Like I always harp on the birthday thing. I think it's because I have the birthday sads all the time. But on the birthday you say, I don't do anything for me, don't make a big fuss. But then when the birthday rolls around and no one made a big fuss, you're sad about it and a little frustrated. It's That's a mixed signal, right? So when, when that happens, people will think like, oh, they love to help, they love to serve. And then it's like, boom, no, I don't. Like, I'm actually pretty burnt out here. And um, so friends who are friends with a two, if you're in relationship to a two, what you need to know is that underneath the surface, they're really struggling with a sense of worth. It's not about like, they just like love to help you with stuff. And they're also like, They need a thank you, but additionally, check in with them and make sure they really want to be doing things. Set boundaries with the twos in your life and say, hey, unless I ask, don't do stuff for me because I don't, like, what you really don't want if you're in a relationship to a two is for this loving, kind person in your life to get burnt out trying to guess what you need while you have no idea what they want or need and aren't doing that for them, and so then they're getting more resentful. So what you need to do is you need to set a boundary and say, hey, don't help me unless I ask. And two, please tell me what I can do to love you better. Communicate with me. If you have an impulse to do something for me, check in with yourself and see, is this something that I actually want or need? And then communicate that with me. And twos, how do we shift this? One, we have to get comfortable with being replaceable. We have to build up the resilience of being replaceable because here's the the harsh reality of growing out of these patterns. 
some of our relationships, not all of our relationships, some of our relationships, perhaps many of our relationships, are formed on the dependence of us staying in our patterns, right? So when you're someone who is concerned about the loss of relationship, which a lot of times our twos and our nines are, when that's a concern, then we might prohibit our ability to grow out of fear that the people who are reliant on our patterns, which are not working for us, by the way, will leave. And here's what I want to say. Step one is letting them go, is seeing that as a positive thing, that if you are not in those unhealthy patterns that are not supporting you, that are not helping you grow, that are only making you feel like crap, let them go. You don't have to be mean to them. You can just start saying no. Start setting some boundaries. Stop anticipating and let them float away and see who your real friends are and give them the excess of all of that loving goodness that you have because you aren't going to be so depleted trying to maintain all of these relationships that are sucking you dry. Second is work on your worth stuff. Really start to practice in intentional practice in building your sense of worthiness, of self-love. Practically, this can look like giving yourself exactly what you think you wish someone else would be giving you, giving yourself what you're tempted to give to others so that you're building up a sense of self like relationship to yourself that is so good that you're not grabbing at anyone's affirmations that are around you, right? Because you have it figured out within yourself. So everybody else's stuff is just a bonus. You don't have to beg for scraps. I hope that wasn't like too harsh. I'm just trying to give you a tough love, you know? It's from a good place. It's from a loving place. <laughs> All right, type three. The stereotypes here are that type threes are superficial and they are vain and or they are workaholics. So you are not superficial, right? You just fear being seen um, for who you truly are, right? The fear there is like, what if someone sees me for who I am and it's not enough? We're not good enough, right? So what this can look like to others is that you just kind of talk about superficial topics. Maybe you talk about yourself a lot. Um, Maybe you're talking about what you've achieved, what you've accomplished. And what we need to understand underneath all of that, it's not necessarily about like, oh, I just want to impress you. I want you to think I'm cool. It's more so about, well, if I tell you about my feelings, well, that's kind of like bad or wrong, first of all, like that's unlikable. But also, it's it's going to make you think that I'm weaker or that I'm not doing good or that I'm not successful or that, like, what if you see the true me and you think, like, oh, that's not actually good enough? It's actually, like, this deep wounding, this inner child wound of, like, I'm loved for what I do, not who I am, and therefore, I'm going to tell you what I do and what I've done so that... I can get the affirmation that I'm hoping to receive because I need to know that I'm worthy, that I'm worthwhile. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being away this week and traveling on my own has made me so much more aware of how much time and energy I spend focused on other people, what they need, how they're feeling, what they want, and how hard it can be to balance that time with yourself, truly getting to know yourself, truly taking care of yourself, while also managing the demands of the people and the things in your life. And honestly, it's really easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you and not take a moment to think about what you need from yourself. But when we spend all of our time giving, it can leave us feeling stretched thin and burned out. I never felt this more than becoming a parent and really being in a relationship that I truly care about and I want to work and I want to make thrive. It can feel like the easiest thing in the world to prioritize everybody else's needs, everybody else's energy. But therapy can give you the tools to find that balance in your life so that you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. I talk to my therapist every single week about what I'm going through, how I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, what's working for me in my life, what's not working for me in my life. She challenges me to prioritize myself, to really understand my worth, and to have a healthy balance between giving to others, focusing on the needs of others, but also prioritizing the true things that actually matter to me. And sometimes I'm not even fully aware of the things that will bring me the most joy. And she asks me the right questions at the right time with the right intention to invite me into more awareness of what I actually need. Now, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suitable to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com egram today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash egram. Thank you, BetterHelp, for supporting the podcast. The additional one is that you aren't all workaholics, right? Um, I actually got a quote from one of you that I I did a post, gosh, maybe years ago about stereotypes in the Enneagram. And we have another one coming up soon because I think this is an important conversation. But I did this and I let you all tell me about how you feel. And so Jake Kiefer, I think, really sums this up beautifully, and I wanted to share his comment. He said, we're not addicted to working. We're obsessive about being good at stuff. You can be a three and totally slack at your job if you don't love it because you are chasing something else that truly matters to you, maybe education, hobby, a side hustle. I think a true struggle for threes is prioritizing those desires. We want to be the best at everything, which means we can get locked into certain obsessions and get lost in the pursuit of achievement, even if the achievement doesn't actually matter that much, like spending three hours on the next achievement in that video game and cursing yourself for the video game when you can't crack it. Other types can work a job they don't like out of loyalty, obligation, necessity to provide for themselves and their families. Threes need to love it or they'll either go insane or get fired. And, you know, I, I the phrase I love it, I think is great. I also think threes often are motivated by a vision for the future. So if that vision for the future is, you know, 
promised financial success, promised upward mobility, promised accolades or, uh, or acknowledgement of your achievements, whatever that is, or just increased love of the, of the work, all of that is dependent upon them staying motivated. But a three's motivation is kind of a, a, a roller coaster, right? It kind of is, it waves and it goes up and it goes down and you really have to capture it because when it's there, it's fire, but it's hard to maintain that level of energy for anything, right? Um, especially if it's not paying you, paying off for you. So the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I think additionally on this point, we would just talk about subtypes with type three because our social threes are the much more inclined toward work. But then we have our self-preservation threes, which are even like resistant of, of, of seeming successful. Like they want, you know, they still have that drive. They want to be acknowledged, but they don't want you to know that about them. And then we have our sexual threes, which are not even work focused at all. They're more so focused on how they look and their partnership and having like a successful partner they can prop up, right? So this takes a different look based off of your subtype as well. But all of that to say, we know it's complex, we know it's deeper than just you're superficial or you're workaholic, like it's much deeper than that. But when we show up and we only talk about what we've achieved or we talk about, you know, something really surface, like how we're choosing to dress right now, it appears superficial because you're not connecting with people on a human level. You're not connecting with them like behind your mask. You're kind of still guarding yourself. So it appears as though you just wanna talk about surface level things because you are likely just talking about surface level things. It's not because you are just like obsessed with vanity, which, you know, obviously at lower levels, you may be unconscious enough of your motivators to believe that's the case, but more so because the little kid in you didn't get enough accolades just for existing, that you had to earn your place through accomplishments. And so therefore that still, that motor is still very much running. So additionally with workaholism, I love the way that Jake put it. It's not necessarily just work. It's like everything is everything. That, that focus is spread everywhere. And that pressure is everywhere. Um, so I just think that's so important to acknowledge, but we're only really accustomed to being bothered by the workaholism side of things, right? We're, if you're an obsessive family man or an obsessive like wife, that's highly praised. Moms, get ridiculed for this bit because people have feelings about it, right? So I that that is also one that can be perceived um pretty intensely. Oh, you're like a super mom. You have to like, you know, that that can be perceived that way. But what we have to remember is that threes 
are terrified of being worthless. So at the end of the day, they believe that if they're not doing everything to the max capacity, that they are failing. Which brings me to what what we should know about this, right? If we're someone who loves a three or has a three in our life, like how do we engage with this differently? How do I stop thinking like, oh, they're being superficial, they're being vain. Instead, how can I invite them into depth? How can I create such a safe space in our relationship that they can open up to me, that they can feel safe being their truest self? Every single three in the world needs at least one person they can take their mask down around. I'd love for you to have thousands of people you can take your mask off around. I know that's not always realistic, but at least one. And if you are in a relationship to a three, do what you can to be that space for them. Because if you're annoyed or bothered by them being superficial or vain, well, how can you encourage them to not be that way? It's not going to be through judging them for being superficial or vain in your mind, right? It's going to be through seeing the truth beneath the surface and inviting them into complexity with non-judgment. I think that's why so many threes are married to nines. That's my hypothesis, is that nines are like the kings and queens of non-judgment, and threes need non-judgmental space in order to be themselves. I know we've had people on the podcast talk about how they're married to a three and their three doesn't even take their mask down in their marriage, right? So we don't want to be that, right? We don't want to, we want to make sure that our, our threes feel invited into that space. They may not take that bait, right? I think you can be the most healthy, loving, wonderful partner in the world and they may not take that space, but do what you can, right? Additionally, um, they're rewarded often for exhausting themselves at home and we need to pay attention to that as partners, right? Oh, they have the perfect meal plan. They always clean the house. They always make me breakfast. They always do everything perfectly right. Let's make sure we're not taking advantage of that and that we're paying attention to, are they doing this at work? Are they doing this in their friendships? Are they doing this at home? Are they doing this as a parent and as a partner? Are they doing this with their extended family? Like, where does that end, right? And and what capacity does a human really have? So pay attention and just ask for how can you support them, be persistent about that, and let them break down with you. Give them a space to break down with you. Now, as our threes, how do you shift this for yourself? You know, it is identifying those relationships that are safe for you to be more vulnerable in. Um, Ask more questions and talking about yourself. You know, that's super supportive. Like if you're afraid of seeming superficial or vain, but you're not ready to be emotionally vulnerable, then take the time to give less advice and ask more questions. The threes in my life who are super healthy and who I feel so loved by, they're amazing at this. Um, But additionally, let people support you too because that's going to offer the depth that lasting relationships need. It needs to be reciprocal. So you have to show a little bit of vulnerability in order for people to be able to love you like at all. So keep that in mind as well. And then also I encourage threes like seasonally prioritize. So right, you can't do everything perfectly. You know, you can't do everything to your best ability all the time. So prioritize by season. Like right now is a work season. Then in July is a writer season and August is a family season, you know, like kind of determine your seasons and communicate with that with your family, the people who are close to you. 
so that you are moderating your energy in the correct direction and you're not feeling like, okay, I have to succeed all the time. I talked to you guys about my summer of pleasure and how I don't make the bed. I take the pressure off myself to have a perfectly clean home. I, you know, don't take on a ton of work projects and my main job is just to have fun and to be alive and to read for fun and to, you know, I'm taking two weeks off just to write. Like giving yourself seasons that prioritize different areas of your life instead of trying to be everything to everyone all the time. All right, type four. Our stereotypes here for type four are that you just want to be weird and or you are sad all the time. So this was, I think, a stereotype that I saw way more in my beginning of the Enneagram. And I actually know I've had a recent weird DM in our exchange with that person who was like, most people who are fours are actually nines, um, which is like my pet peeve. <laughs> so he was saying like, fours just want to be unique. They want to stand out. They want to be different. And I, I think that's an unconscious that's the surface level version of what we're talking about here. It's it's underneath the surface. It's obviously something bigger than that, right? Like we don't come out of the womb. I want to be weird because we don't even know what weird is until we're until we're socialized to a normal. Right? Like if we're we're trained what's normal is similar to 3, right? We talked about in, well, I guess this is coming up Friday's episode, but we're going to talk about how wherever you are, threes kind of merge to match the, the success of the room. Similarly, fours are given a sense of like, this is what's normal here. And they're going to be a little rebellious to that normal and want to stand out from that normal. But that's going to look different everywhere. So if you're raised in a hippie household in a commune, then having a corporate job will be out of the norm, right? So it's not just like, oh, you have green hair, you must be a four, you know, although that like, that checks, right, (laughs) on a stereotypical level, but it's more so you are setting yourself apart. So you aren't just trying to be strange. You're not just like, I need to be quirky and different. It's more so like you want to be significant and you often not, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but often for fours, you really wanted to belong. You really wanted to fit in, but somewhere along the way you learned you couldn't or that you didn't respect the people who you were around enough to want to be like them. And so you said, you know what? I can, I'm not going to fit in here. So I'm going to be different. I'm going to be better. So I'm going to set myself apart and I'm going to be special. And you aren't sad all the time, right? You're just comfortable suffering. (laughs) All type fours have a relationship to suffering, right? So the subtypes come in here. Our social fours uh, use suffering as like a comforting blanket. It's like cozy, feels safe. So they just kind of linger in it. Our self-preservation fours are long-suffering. They want to prove how much they can suffer without complaining. And then our sexual or one-to-one fours, they suffer, so you should suffer too. Like if you've made them suffer, then you should suffer. If you've made someone else suffer, then you should suffer. So they all have a comfort with suffering. And so 
you're not, it's not like you're like a seven where you're like, I'm suffering. I need to change this right now. I need a way out. I need to problem solve. I need to think positively. I need to be, I need to be constantly thinking about what's next. I'm not going to live in regret. I'm going to focus on the future, right? This energy isn't the four energy. The four energy is not, fours aren't trying to climb their way out of the pits of despair because it's so terrible to think about. They're like, oh, this is actually kind of comfortable and cozy here. I'm fine. I'm going to hang out. I'm going to hang out here. Y'all go on, you know? It's not so much that you're just like feeling sad all the time. It's just that sadness isn't something that you feel the need to reject. That being said, let's talk about why these stereotypes get formed. So they get formed because fours are often different, right? They're often set apart and they've learned to really embrace that and like that about themselves. Fours love the thought of being rare, of being special, of being different. Um, They don't want to merge with the group. And so when that's the case, right, people start to see that as like, oh, they're just so quirky. They're just so different. Um, But again, that's not necessarily from the place of they are obsessed with just looking different but also it's more so like I need to be significant. I need to make sure that my life matters, that I find out who I am. I share that with the world and that the world deems that significant. Um, And I think quirky is a quick access point to different. It's a surface access point to being different. If I stand out, if I dress weird, then you'll see me as significant before I see myself that way. The other thing here is why do people see you as sad all the time? And it's just because most of us aren't that comfortable with sadness, you know? And you're not trying to get out of it. So sometimes when you're comfortable with suffering, you don't have an exit plan. And the the loving hard truth here is that you need one right? You know, not that your feelings aren't going to naturally fade, but if we continue to feed them and reopen the wound, we're going to keep going back to it. And if we amplify those feelings, right, we max them out, we could do that perpetually. So at some point, you have to let your emotions have their natural ebb and flow and allow yourself to get out of them. But I think what's hard about that is that Ooh, this one, this is a tough one, guys. I think what's hard about that is that if you do that, then you have, you're responsible for what you do with your mental health. Like if you're in a good place, if you're doing well, you then are responsible for what you do with that. Meaning you're supposed to actually start taking steps toward being significant because you're carrying this pressure to be significant but actually you're carrying the pressure while not taking often average to low levels health as a reminder, you're not taking the action to be significant or to believe in your significance from a deep emotional place where you actually just like fully believe you're awesome. So when you're not taking the action to do that, but you are holding yourself to the presence of that and embracing suffering, then you're like, well, if I just stay down here in the sad space, I don't ever have to prove to myself that I'm not significant. I don't ever have to take the risk of seeing if I'm significant or not because I'm too sad to do that. So my challenge 
for my fours, well, we'll get into that in a second. First, let's talk about what we should do if we love a four and they're doing this. Number one, if you're loving a four, you know, I think a really, a thing that we can start to do is start to encourage the significance of them being themselves. Because a lot of times the significance that they're finding is in the projection of who they would like to be. Um, So inviting them into love and trust and specialness in the truth of who they are and challenging them to continuously show up as they are, I think is a really loving act. Additionally, when we notice them kind of feeding the wound and reopening it, inviting them in, I'm trying to figure out how can we, you know, it's, we've talked about this before. I don't want to invalidate those feelings, right? So I want to be careful with my language, but I think we can validate the feeling without validating the story. We've talked about this before. So I am a terrible writer. It's a good one. I'm a terrible writer. I'll never do what I want to do in the world. Well, I, I hear you saying you feel like a really terrible writer. I'm sorry that you feel that way. Can I remind you of some data that actually shows the opposite of that? And then how can we, what do we need to do to move through these feelings? And then can I support you when you're ready to take action? How can I support you when you're ready to take action? Kind of inviting them through that process and sitting with them, but validate the feelings and don't necessarily validate the story they're telling themselves to create those feelings in themselves, if that makes sense, to kind of continuously open that wound up. Now, if you are a four and you wanna shift this, um, one thing that you can start with is really, especially with suffering, is starting to have a conversation with that voice that is opening up the wound, that's kind of amping things up. Ask them like, what are you doing here? What are you trying to protect? What are you keeping me from? listen to what it has to say and validate it and then go, okay, great. I see that we feel this way. Um, Here's some other information. I'm kind of giving you what I'm telling your partners to do with you, but do this with yourself as well. Like validate it, but then also have a debate with the story. Like I hear you saying you're a bad writer, but when I actually look at the writing, I kind of like it. I actually think it's pretty good. You won that award. You got an A on that paper. Like whatever it is, and have a conversation with that inner critic. So, you know, once and fours both have that inner critic, have a conversation with that inner critic, name it if you want to, draw it out on paper. Um, also, I would say, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to be quirky or different or expressing yourself quirky or different. I don't think that's necessarily something to be solved or fixed, but I think it's just, am I holding myself to a standard of what I believe to be significant that isn't even accurate to where I am in my journey. So, you know, am I taking my first gymnastics class and then expecting myself to be in the Olympics next year? You know, am I holding myself to a standard of significance that I already know I can't meet, which is kind of the point, right? Like it's kind of like, well, if I hold myself to this like really high standard, then I don't even really have to try. So challenge that, challenge that voice, bring your standards down and get excited about getting bad at something, being average at something and building a skill. Get excited about the process of building a skill, not the destination of just being significant. 
I hope this wasn't too much of a tough love episode, but I feel like sometimes that's just that's just what's up for me. That's what's there. So thank you guys so much for joining me today. I'm going to do types five, six, and seven next Wednesday. So if that's you, or if you love someone who's a five, six, seven, definitely join us over there for that. And I will see you Friday for the next episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.